Hey guys, what's up? It is week 321. I have some reviews for you, so let's just hop right into this. The first one up is from Synapse Films, and I, this is a documentary. I originally think it was made in uh, 2014, and this is Invaluable, and uh, the true story of an epic artist, and this is about Tom Sullivan. Now, if you guys don't know who Tom Sullivan is, Tom Sullivan basically worked on all the special effects on the first Evil Dead film. He worked on Part 2 quite uh, extensively, and he did a little bit for Army of Darkness. Now, uh, if you guys know the story of Evil Dead, of course, it was a uh, low-budget film uh, made by a bunch of guys from Michigan, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, you know, uh, Robert Tapper, all these guys got together and they made short films together and they kind of did their own thing separately when they were younger and they came together and made this film. What They filmed it in a cabin, I think, and was it Tennessee or Kentucky? I can't remember which. I know, I'm a bad horror fan. But uh, Evil Dead became a giant, immense uh, hit. It was originally made in 81, but I don't think it got real wide release. It was made in the eight, 1980 and 81 stuff, but I don't think it got a wide release, at least into the video stores and theaters and stuff circuit probably screened small in 81 but mostly in 80 like 283 i think is kind of when it, it got this huge kind of uh like a boost um you know it had the quote by stephen king yeah and it just pushed it further so um over the years evil dead has only grown in fandom we've had what uh evil dead 2 army of darkness evil dead uh from 2013 and then evil dead rises and a television show bruce campbell or i'm at uh, ash versus the evil dead so we've had so many different things evil dead video games and everything. It's, it's a huge cult phenomenon. And Tom Sullivan is one of these guys who was directly responsible. He did the stop motion effects along with a handful of other special effects artists. He did all sorts of crazy things and had to work with uh, the madman that is Sam Raimi. If you watch this documentary it kind of just shows a lot of the fandom. That's kind of cool. Even ends at Cinema Wasteland where you see some uh, Ken Kish and all these people um, and you see Tom Sullivan's kind of room that he has there with all his cool designs and everything like that. Um, he's always been nothing but a genuinely nice guy from what I've seen interactions with fans everybody's always had a wonderful things to say about him as far as I've been going to Wasteland um, the room's really cool his special effects are really unique and very handcrafted and and cool and he does capture the Lovecraftian aspect too Although, you know, Evil Dead has a Necronomicon and it has Kentarian demons, the old demons, the old ones kind of deal. But it's not exactly a Lovecraftian style film, although it refers to these kind of old demons in the Lovecraftian way. But Tom Sullivan's special effects and his artwork, I feel, is Lovecraftian. Um, he's just a, a very good artist. And this kind of stems from his career, talks about where he's at now and his history with uh, all these people. And they, there's a lot of different talking heads in here, including, including Bruce Campbell, Ted Rain. Amy, uh, Josh Becker, and now Josh Becker had directed a bunch of films as well. The funny thing is a lot of these guys from the Raimi, you know, Campbell crew went on to have successful careers. If you look at like, or, or Scott Spiegel, tons of these guys that work with them went on to do all sorts of cool things. And this invaluable documentary, obviously somebody says that Tom Sullivan was invaluable, you know, and he really was on the set of Evil Dead. Um, without him, the movie doesn't exist. And that's basically this movie is just a, a fan film about him and a, a kind of a history lesson on the movie and on his career. Um, it, it's a good documentary. I enjoyed it. You know, it, it's uh, it's just nice to see somebody pay some respects to some of the special effects artists behind the scenes that aren't uh, uh, some of the big two names, right? You always hear the same names over and over again. And he seems like a genuinely nice guy. And of course, they have that arc in the story. I believe it's directed by Ryan Mead. They have the arc in the documentary where they kind of have some tragedy strike, and that was really kind of heartbreaking to see and everything like that. And you see why some people don't like pursue everything in Hollywood. He's obviously good enough. He obviously has the talent, and he has the the personality uh, as as long as like as being a good guy to to make it. But uh, that's not exactly what happens, you know. Um, it's a good documentary. Um, it's entertaining. It's not like the world's greatest documentary or anything like that, but it's an interesting one if you're interested in that kind of stuff. And I did enjoy it as. As far as special features are concerned, there's some shorts on there, which I noticed Terrence Cover was in one of them uh, from a Gay for Prey. Uh, good guy. And, um, Another documentary on there, too, called Other People's Careers, and this one follows Josh Becker. Now, Josh Becker is not like Tom Sullivan, and I don't mean that he's not talented or anything. Josh Becker made some really cool movies. He made uh, Running Out of Time with Bruce Campbell. It's kind of made to look like it's a one -er. Really fun black-and-white movie that Synapse also put out, and he also did Thou Shall Not Kill, dot, 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 except from 1985, which has Sam Raimi in it and a bunch of the crew, directed by him, of course, by Becker, and uh, that was also put up by Synapse Films. That's a lot of fun. Kind of an underrated little gem there. 
Um, so, so a- anyways, so this one's about Becker and I didn't really know what happened to Josh Becker. I know he's a, did he direct Mosquito as well? I know he was involved with Mosquito. So he's involved with a lot of these kind of independent movies, uh, from Michigan and everything and all these guys. Um, and he kind of just disappeared in the background for a little bit. And then this documentary is kind of talking about his career, where he was, uh, the, the trouble he's had. And I don't want to spoil absolutely everything, but there's points in the documentary where he's just saying awful stuff about people. And you're just like, he does not coming across very well here. And then you start hearing more backstory and you're like, I understand. I, you could see why someone would get upset. You could see why they're being the way they're being all these kind of things. And at the very end of the documentary, it kind of comes around and it's really well done, but this is invaluable. Um, the true story of an epic artist and other people's careers. This is good stuff uh directed and produced by ryan mead uh 2018 it says on here maybe i got the year wrong i'm not sure if this is a different version but there's been a couple documentaries on here as well there's vintage uh um besides uh, um the the other feature length documentary on here we have vintage tom sullivan in the spotlight interview from 89 unedited interview with tim philo cinematography real dead extended interview segments with josh becker invaluable promotional trailers ryan mead short films bong fly and cosmos locos bong fly behind the scenes snapshots all that kind of stuff there so this sounds like it's up to your alley check it out it is invaluable okay next up is from radiance films and this box set is amazing and this is a box set uh called costa nostra uh franco nero and three mafia tales by donamanio donamani and um you know if you guys aren't familiar with that director he's a pretty prolific italian director and his films are pretty serious stuff really amazing kind of like uh political thrillers movies that tackle issues he did stuff like a bullet for a general he also did of course uh confessions of a police captain which i've covered on here with martin Bolzum and franco nero which is an excellent movie. Unfortunately, not in this set. Scored by Riz Ortolani. Perfect movie about police corruption and all that kind of stuff. Just a wonderful film. Uh, this one has three films in here. It has Day of the Owl, um, The Case is Closed, Forget It, and uh, How to Kill a Judge. How to Kill a Judge had a DVD release from Blue Underground. I don't think the other ones had wide releases in the States. Maybe I'm mistaken on DVD and everything like that. So let's start with the first one if I can get this bad boy out of here. It always You always go to pull these things out and you always make a jackass of yourself. There's also a, a nice little booklet here, Franco Nero, and uh, the, here. It's got tons of stuff in it. It's a really big booklet. It's quite amazing, to be honest. Um, so here we go. The first one up is Day of the Owl from, is this 1966? I believe so, maybe 68. And uh, this one was really good. It also has Claudia Cardinelli and Lee J. Cobb. Lee J. Cobb, of course, in The Exorcist and 12 Angry Men. So um, what we have here is, of course, Day of the Owl. Um, so Franco Nero to me, you know, the originally probably saw him in a couple like Force 10 to Navarone and Die Hard 2, not really understanding who he was until, you know, I saw eventually saw Django. And uh, he kind of clicked off and, and, you know, probably the fifth chord and everything. And I started seeing some of his earlier films, like uh, the one from 68, A Quiet Place in the Country, and and these other ones, like his, his Euro films and High Crime. And I realized how amazing Franco Nero is. You know, he's just uh, he's got a great look about him, and he's just kind of a star. And uh, this one here, uh, Lee J. Cobb is also in here, like I said, and she's ama- he, she's he's amazing in here, too. So, um, all right, this is, this is a great film. We have kind of like this, uh, police captain that shows up to this small town. Um, and it, it's not necessarily, it's, 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 a, it's kind of a lot like the movie I covered last week from them, the Iron Prefect with Juliana Gemma from Radiance Films. But, uh, so we have here is this kind of like isolated small town and there's a murder right in the beginning. And there's like a military presence here, a police military presence. And they pull over and they're trying to figure out who committed this murder. And uh, Franco Nero comes in and he's kind of the new guy and he starts to kind of muscle around and do things his way. And he feels like he's going to get the job done. And all these movies are kind of about just really depressing, really bleak looks on life and corruption and not being able to get over it and, and kind of folding to the corruption. And do, even if you do the right thing, you know, it doesn't help. It doesn't change a fucking thing. And that's it's a lot of these depressing kind of elements in these Euro movies, um, probably stemming from like the years of lead and all that kind of stuff and the uh, civil unrest and the political turmoil in Italy during this time period. But uh, this one, I guess, was a really significant mob movie. Um, and I think it, it's well worth it because it's not your blast out action movie. There's a couple moments of violence here and there, but it just shows you how these intricate little details work. So um, 
the at the same time as this guy's murdered, somebody kind of witnesses it and they kind of disappear. And this is the uh, husband of uh, Cla uh, Claudia Cardinelli. So uh, Franco Nero starts to kind of stick into that while um, it's really complexities with G uh, Lee J. Cobb, who's kind of the leader of the mob. And the way he runs it, the way his demeanor is, is just perfect. Um, and he's surrounded by these goons, and they're all just perfectly cast. They all look like real mafia guys. Um, and you're so used to seeing like the Godfather style, you know, crime movie eh, coming to America deal. But this is kind of an old country. This is made before the Godfather. It's got like this kind of like dusty little town, and and like the construction and the mafia taking it over and paving people off and creating ulterior you know motives to cover up crimes and all these things. And there's a lot of sweating and a lot of trickery going on. There's informal um and there's a lot of suspense too um and there's tons and tons of players and i know they'll mention this in like the special features they'll say that um what damiani does is he'll like he'll start small and then he'll broaden it all these characters will get introduced everybody's there and then they'll kind of shrink back down and get it more personal now the um interactions that lee j cobb and franco nero have are are wonderful um what he says he has this great speech that he says you know there's a small percentage of the world that is man and there's, there's some that are half men and even more so manlings. And he gives his whole speech and you're just like, stuff of brilliance, honestly. Um, really great stuff. Um, and the very ending, I think, is great, too. You know, they almost have a laugh at the expense of everything that's happened. Uh, there's a couple murders in here. Uh, and this is just a really great film. Uh, a lot of good, interesting characters. And I feel like this is truly probably how the mob works more than like stuff like The Godfather or Goodfellas or any of that kind of stuff. Although this is probably glamorized as well. It's not nearly as glamorized. It seems more down to earth, seems more kind of just gritty and realistic and not all out just gore and murder. It seems genuinely like just realistic to me. And I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but I sure feel like it. Um, as far as the special features are concerned, and I have to mention this because this is great stuff on here. Um, there's two different versions. The English audio is shorter. Um, new interview with Franco Nero featuring archive footage of uh, Damiano Damamani and Leonardo Sisiskilia. Archival interview with Nero and writer Uga Piero, production manager Lu uh, Lucio Trentini. Identity crime, Sis. Filmmaker and Italian crime cinema expert Mike Malloy discusses the Day of the Owl in the context of the formation of the Italian crime film genre. This is great stuff because he breaks down the entire genre. He starts from the beginning and he breaks it down in three kind of uh, little subgenres and he says which one really got kickstarted. He has the action oriented, the star driven one, and the highbrow. And he breaks it all down. He has uh, uh, tons of, you know, um, basically, uh, what, what's the word he uses? A bunch of films to back all the things he says and, and moments and all this kind of stuff. And he's just a walking encyclopedia. It's fast-paced. It's knowledgeable. Great little featurette here. And they even have a little trailer that Radiance put up. I'll probably play that too. Mike Malloy, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that knows more about Eurocrime than him, to be honest. Um, then you also have Cast and Cobb, A Tale of Two Continents, a video essay by filmmaker Howard S. Berger looking at actor Lee J. Cobb's career transition from Hollywood to Italy and the archetypes he tended to play. This is also great because uh, Lee J. Cobb's a great character actor. He's just amazing. He's got a, a great screen presence, and he goes through and talks about his entire career. He talks about moments he had with his family watching him in on television. He says as, as Lee J. I don't want to spoil that moment because that's a really great moment, but it just shows uh, a film artist uh, respecting another one, and it's just beautiful. And, and I'm, you know, I hope to do things like this eventually with my life um you know there's tons of like actors out there that i i adore and i don't think they get the credit they deserve and this was something really nice to see that um is great stuff and then we also have archival interview with claudia cardinelli from belgian tv in which she discusses her long and storied career trailer and then we have new and improved subtitles so day of the owl this is a pretty much a classic from my understanding and well-deserved classic great stuff uh recommended for sure Divertiamoci un po'.
right? So the first big contribution that Italy made to world cinema was the neorealismo films of the 1940s and 50s, dramas like The Bicycle Thief and Bitter Rice. And at the beginning of the 1960s, the important Italian crime films were ones like Salvatore Giuliano and Mafioso, and they owed a lot to the neorealismo films still. They were black and white films without any slam-bang action sequences, emphasis on weighty drama, or in the case of mafioso, black comedy. Characters would do some shooting or get shot, but that's about it. But jump to the next decade, the 1970s, and the Italian crime film was now in living color, full of action, full of violence, full of nudity. In fact, the Euro crime films of the 70s are considered some of the best in cinema history for action and violence. Okay, the next one from the set is The Case is Closed, Forget It. And uh, this one also stars Franco Nero and a, a slew of other recognizable uh, actors you would know, uh, character actors. You know, there's only so many character actors in these Italian movies that you use. So like both movies, all three of the movies are riddled with people. They're like, oh, that guy from this and that. And uh, the, um, that guy's from the Umberto Lenzi movies. So uh, basically this one is my favorite of the set. The case is closed. Forget it. Um, Franco Nero is, um, he, he commits a crime or you don't know. They kind of leave it up in the air, which I really like. And he's from a, a higher up family. He's an architect. He's a writer, you know. So basically he goes to this prison and right at the beginning you realize his prisons run like shit because they start talking to him and they say, well, and he's like, and he's like, so you're here for, and he's like, so-and-so. And he's like, that's not my name. My name's Trenti, uh, Tansy. And he's just like, fuck the, the man straight, the warden or whatever. The warden's like, okay, whatever. Send the wrong guy. My bad. Um, so he is in there for a traffic violation. He left the scene of a crime. He, they say he hit this drunk guy or something along the lines. He denies it. You never find out any more about it. Um, so right when he gets into prison, he's immediately put in the cell with a couple thugs, one in which is Don, John Steiner. Uh, he got a love from Caligula and The Last Hunter and Tenenbrae, just one of the most prolific actors in Euro horse cinema, The Ensign's Woods, um, tons of stuff. He's a great actor. He's one of the best in that kind of subgenre or whatever. So basically what happens is he's like a rough thug. He's crazy. He, he plays a person he's committed murder already. And you just kind of see all the different characters in the prison in a cell. One's sick and dying. One's kind of like a crime boss. One is a kind of like a homosexual that's really quiet. So it's all these kind of characters. And as he progresses, he starts to learn more and more about this prison. And he meets a couple other people. He witnesses uh, a couple of thugs beating up this guy who is a, a classic actor in a million Italian films, always playing kind of a uh, crazy person or a thug. He gets the shit kicked out of him. And he has a letter that was passed on to him. And he starts to uncover this kind of almost conspiracy that uh, the, there's this high-level crime boss in jail that wants it covered up. And Franco Nero gets involved. And, and you know what? Um, it's not going to be good news for him. And that, that's, again, uh, this movie is basically a morality, kind of a fight with somebody's morality. Do you do you do the thing that you think's right, or do you kind of you, you fold in? It's all that kind of stuff going on here, and Franco Nero has to walk the line. He does an amazing job. But even more amazingly is they have all these characters that go into, and the police chief in here, the, the lead prison guard. Now, they have scenes with him talking to the main criminal, and that stuff is just brilliantly done. And it's brilliantly done because you, you see this chief and he's upset at the situation. He's upset at this criminal. But at the same time, he understands that sometimes you have to bend a certain way to get ahead in life. And there's a, there's a moment between him and Nero towards the end of the film that is also really poignant. And the movie's sad. Um, and, and it ends on such a, a wonderful note uh, that just uh, it seems all too real. It seems all too real. And when I try to put myself in Franco Nero's situation, I don't think I would do anything differently if I was in his position in life. And that's scary to think that when you're younger, you're like, ah, you always want to think you're going to do the right thing. But then when you start making these complexity, these shades of gray, you, you think, fuck it. You know, I, I got to look out for myself. And, and it's scary to think that way. You know what I mean? And it's intriguing. And it's again, you can't go against corruption. You're everybody's just a, a, a cog in the wheel. And you're small usually, but uh, it's just wonderfully done. It's claustrophobic. There's lots of great little memorable moments. Nero is fantastic in it. Uh, I think he's the best in this one. Um, then we have uh, um, we have new interview with star Franco Nero, archival documentary on the making of the film featuring actor uh, Coronado Solari, assistant director Enrique Bergiri. That one's hard. And editor Antonio uh, Siciliano. Uh, Italy's cinematic civil consci um, conscience. 
um, what is it? Sorry, Conscience, an examination of life and works of Damiano Damani, a visual essay by filmmaker and critic Ra uh, Rachel Nisbet. This is great stuff because she goes over his entire career, starting you know all these kind of movies on here. Uh, I forgot to mention that he did the Amityville to the Possession, which is crazy to me. He also did the Witch, the Witches, which is a uh, I can't remember if that's the one. Yeah, that's the kind of weird, kind of strange, uh, like uh, one from the '60s that I think I've covered on here actually. But uh, no, he he's had an interesting storied career and they have these themes that keep popping up. He's worked with Nero four times and he keeps on working and he puts like guys like Juliana Gemma in, his, in starring roles and Gianna, Gian Vellante, all these big names and he makes these movies because you know what? Um, he gets the money because he makes movies that are poignant and important and that's a great little documentary on there. And then we have new and improved optional English subtitles and everything like that. So the case is closed. Forget it. Um, I really was hoping the movie would end with that line but didn't unfortunately still great stuff love this movie okay the final one in the set is how to kill a judge again starring franco nero um and, and the thing about this one is this is kind of like weird kind of almost meta because the director made police uh, confessions of a police captain and uh after there was a corrupt magistrate in it and afterwards uh, what happened was a judge was murdered and he was like, he started to think, get his wheels rolling. He was like, I can't help but feel like I might possibly be responsible for this murder, even though mine had my film had nothing to do with it. But he starts to think. So in How to Kill a Judge, it's basically following Franco Nero, who is a director. And this, he's basically made a movie, a political movie, that is kind of calling out this crooked judge who gets shot at the very end. It's very funny because he actually cast the, the crooked magistrate from police, Confession of Police Captain as that judge within the film of the film. And so what happens is a judge, obviously, is not happy about it his wife is not happy about it there's a whole network of people who are not very happy about it and then one day this judge is killed and his newspaper and everybody kind of celebrates it because he works at this newspaper everybody seems to be celebrating it but he's really perturbed by the whole entire situation and he wants to find out who did it and the reasons why at first there's you know just angry civilians that were wrongfully fired or convicted by him they're thinking and then all signs kind of point to this mafia group um and there's like high class lawyers trying to fight him on it and he starts to call strings from his buddies and everything like that one of which has ties to organized crime as well and that guy's played by the guy who loses his mind and the big racket the guy whose daughter is raped a fantastic actor he's great in this too he's got a great screen presence he reminds me a lot of like an italian oliver reed which i'm a big fan of so like there's, there's all these characters come into the situation and we kind of unravel this mystery we're running into all these characters and honestly i really didn't know who did it i never had time to think about it i was just kind of intrigued looking at all these characters and meeting all these people and having this discussion about you know franco nero about how responsible he is for the judge being murdered and if he did the right thing kind of like exposing a crooked judge if this judge was crooked all these kind of back and forth you know um dealing with the lawyers of this family dealing with the newspaper and the very end of the movie is again very poignant when uh you know we had to um or we wouldn't be any better. And that's just dead on true. But guess what? In the long run, that hurts him. It hurts everything that he's going for and strives for. And it's not a happy ending. But it's it's an honest ending for him. He could sleep at night even though he probably is ruined. And that's just kind of a lot what this director does. You may survive, but you may not want to. You, you know, you're going you're gonna to get shit on you. You're not going to come out clean. You never come out of clean in these movies. You either die or you just come out bad. Um, and this series could literally be called uh, the the political Euro political series where Franco Nero gets a bunch of innocent people killed because he keeps getting people killed in these movies. Uh, honestly, it's funny. Like Franco Nero is really good at getting other people killed or killing other people too. But uh, this set is great. All three movies are well worth your time. They have them with great supplemental stuff on here. This disc actually has new interview with Franco Nero, new interview with Alberto uh, Bizzotta, author of Regido Damano Damani, um, Lessons in Violence, a new video essay on film uh, on the film by filmmaker David Carnes, which is great too. Uh, English and Italian trailers, and then we have new improved subtitles. So if you've not seen this set, or if you haven't, you've been sleeping on Radiance Films, this is the best thing they put out so far. I love it. And they put out some cool stuff. The Iron Prefect was good. Um, I, in fact, almost everything they put out that I've covered on here has been worth picking up. Um, but this steals it. This takes the cake, you know. Um, I love Euro films. I love Franco Nero, and uh, I, I love this director. I've seen you know six or seven of his films, and they all they're all great. I need to watch a bullet for a general ASAP. But good stuff, great set. Be relatively quick with this, quicker than I should be, because this is a movie that I probably should be watching with someone else. But uh, I've seen this movie a million times, 
It's one of my all-time favorite films. And this is Reservoir Dogs, 1992, Quentin Tarantino. This is the 4K. Pop this bad boy in. Had not watched it in a long time. It opens up. God, how many? Uh, Madonna's big dick, all that whole speech in the very beginning. Do I need to name who's in this movie? This is the directorial debut of Quentin Tarantino. He's also in it. But it has Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Steve Buscemi. Um, it's got Eddie Bunker, Lawrence Tierney, Chris Penn, Michael Madsen, Randy Brooks. Am I am I missing anyone? Uh, did I get the all eight Reservoir Dogs and then Randy Brooks? You know what I mean? I think I did. Uh, yeah, so, so everybody in this movie is top notch. Um, now, when I first saw this, this movie took me back. I saw this probably in high school. I was immediately captivated by it. I went down a rabbit hole. I watched everything Tarantino had at the time. I think Kill Bill was just getting ready to come out. So, you know, I was, I've always been a big fan of his films. And I've been his big fan of him in general being a huge movie enthusiast. Now, I know people are either really hot or really cold on Tarantino. I've always been, you know, very hot on his films. And Reservoir Dogs started, uh, you know, that relationship with that. And I've always loved his movies. I, I always had a great spot for him. So, obviously, they're inspired by other films, which I have no problem with. We all are inspired by other films. And Tarantino does it really well. So what we have here is a group of six criminals hired by uh, nice guy Eddie Cabot and Joe Cabot, uh, father-son crime kind of a syndicate. They hire these six criminals that don't know each other's identity. They all go by code names. Uh, of course, Eddie and Joe know them. They're all supposed to be experts in their field. So they're hired to pull a diamond heist. And the structure of the story obviously is not in order. Uh, it opens up in the diner, and then we kind of cut into after the robbery. We never actually see the robbery, right? We talk about the robbery. We never see it. And a big chunk of the story is these criminals held up in a warehouse. Uh, lots of crazy things ensue as more and more characters, are, uh, their fates are revealed. They show up, all this kind of stuff. Um, Harvey Keitel plays Mr. White, and he develops this bond with the younger criminal and Tim Roth, Mr. Orange. And their back and forth is pretty good, very heartfelt. And, you know, the reveal later is obviously kind of, wow, you know. Uh, a nice guy, Eddie, uh, played by Chris Penn, is probably my favorite character in the movie. Now, Chris Penn, in the, in the special features years ago said, you know, I normally didn't get to play witty guys. I got to play kind of dumber guys. And you think back and you're like, at close range. You're like, yeah, yeah, I kind of did. This one, he has some great speech. He has one of my favorite monologues ever when he's talking about uh, Mr. Blonde. That man you just killed just got released from prison. That whole speech, I love that so much. Um, I like the relationship that he has with Michael Madsen. You genuinely feel a bond of friendship between the two. Madsen, this is one of his earlier roles. Of course, he'd be like the Get Out remake and Free Willy and uh, War Games, I think, is an early one for Madsen. But, you know, this is kind of his breakthrough role, right? He did uh, really well after this, was in a slew of movies, including a couple Tarantino ones. But, you know, Madsen kind of just had this screen presence about him, right? Um, would the scene uh, playing Steeler's Wheel in the background and the ear slice and all that stuff be as strong as it is if it wasn't for Madsen? I think Madsen really made that scene his own. And then Steve Buscemi, also amazing actor here. Now, earlier, a lot of people are familiar with Steve Buscemi because his comedy work and the Adam Sandler movies are later on. But earlier, you know, I knew Buscemi popping up in stuff like King of New York and, and Tree's Lounge, which he directed. And, and Buscemi was a serious actor. He could be comedic in his serious roles. Um, of course, Billy Madison might actually have been the first time I saw him very young. But Steve Buscemi is just one of the best character actors that ever lived. And then we have Lawrence Tierney, who um, was a Hollywood badass, tough guy back in the day. And then he was kind of pushed down to small roles in horror films like uh, Midnight or Silver Bullets or The Prowler. You see Lawrence Tierney popping up in all these movies in these small little roles. He's always good, but he always seems pretty dangerous. And, and the role they gave him here as the kind of crime boss with a red me boys he's just great he, he's made for this role um nice seeing eddie bunker in here too of course eddie bunker was a real life criminal and he was a wrote uh what straight time the book and they made a movie out of that so uh, we'll be talking about straight time a little later in this video but anyways reservoir dogs has incredibly over the top violence incredibly strong tarantino dialogue in here right um and then we have tim roth too of course you know an english actor and just does a really good job here he does lose his accent once motherfucker trying to watch the lost boys he's, he loses his accent right there but uh, there's just so many cool moments in the way the structure is done. It's just very entertaining. And uh, it's just a, a gut punch, too. And the soundtrack, how could I not mention uh, the soundtrack with the voice radio by Stephen Wright? Uh, K, uh, K. Billy Super Sounds of the 70s. Keep on trucking. Great stuff. Um, I love this movie. I, I think it's it's one of my favorites. And like I said, the soundtrack is great. Uh, the low-budget aspects don't hurt it too bad at all. Kind of give it a gritty feel at times. Uh, I love the dialogue and the weird kind of anti-cop stuff they have, almost like they're in like some comic book. You kill any people? Just cops. No real people? 
just cops. Like, you're like, holy shit. Like, even back then. But there's just lots of good stuff here. It looks good on 4K. Sounded good on 4K. Um, I am quite the fan of uh, Reservoir Dogs, and I always will be, to be honest. Uh, highly recommended stuff. Um, the case looks a little, like, cloud. It looks a little blurry there. But uh, you only got five of them on there out of the eight. But it's okay. It'll work. Um, I remember the old DVDs they used to have where they were color-coded, and they had the four. They had four colors. Oh, five colors. They had, uh, of course, they had Mr. White, Mr. Orange, Mr. Pink, Mr. Blonde, and Mr. Brown. And then there's Mr. Blue, who's not on there, and then Nice Guy and Joe. But anyways, great movie. Vastly entertaining. Endlessly quotable. You either love him or you don't. I love Tarantino. Love his podcast. Love his movies. Um, I just love his enthusiasm for film as well, you know? All right, let's get into those 1981 movies. Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell. Because through that gateway, evil will invade the world. up is a Shaw Brothers movie. It's from uh, 81, of course, and it is completely bonkers, which you would expect from the early 80s Shaw Brothers output. And this is Bewitched from 88 Films. This is an import. This is region locked. 
and I love this thing. I had not seen this one. I did not hear too much about it. You know, you always hear Boxer's Omen, Seating of a Ghost. You always hear about the couple and then the martial arts movie. So, Bewitched, I was like, this will be alright. This will be good. And, you know, I've not really seen any bad Shaw Brothers horror films. I'm a fan of all of them, for the most part. Maybe besides Hex After Hex was not not my jam too much. So, so I put in the Bewitched, and I'm watching it. I'm like, okay, this is pretty good stuff. And we have this guy, and he realizes that he's sick immediately. So, like, he ends up, uh, the, the, the movie opens up actually kind of crazy. We see a, like a family out like in the, like, pi- like being like picnicking and all these things. And they find this body and it's a little girl. And the whole reveal is really gross and really nasty. It's almost like a New York Ripper scene, right? When they find that body in the beginning, which is really tastelessly hilarious. And so they find like this nail in this girl's head. They, they, it's like a police procedural at first, kind of like, um, what, um, Corpse Mania from the same year, another Shaw Brothers movie, so it has the police procedural aspect, which is kind of heavy in a lot of these Hong Kong movies, even lay all the way up until the Untold Story, right? So we're doing this police procedural aspect, and they find the guys who, whose daughter it is, and they arrest him for murder, and he starts to tell why he did it. He's sentenced. One of the cops hears him out, and he says that he's been cursed. He went to Taiwan. He had sexual relations with this woman, and he came back, and he's been cursed. And we kind of see that storyline unfold, and we see that he had been cursed, and he was an asshole. But the curses that she gave him or went to a shaman or, or a black magic practitioner and got put on him, way out of line. So the first one he has is he has a curse where he will witness. And they, they break it down. Every time there's a new curse said or they discuss, they discuss a new curse, they do boom. And they say so-and-so curse and they show how to do it, which I love because it happens like six or seven times. So eventually uh, this police officer starts to dig deeper and we find out this guy is suffering from two or three different curses. One where he has boils, worms and shit. Just think, you know, we just covered the devil last week and that's an 81 crazy Asian film. This has some similarities too, like the spells and all that kind of shit. Um, This one I think is probably just a little bit more professionally well done, more mainstream, I guess, approachable, even though it's very gross too. So we start seeing the spells that are put on this fucking guy and there's some really nasty stuff and to the point where he's just wrapped up in like medical stuff, like ugh, like leaking worms everywhere. So I was like, this is way crazier than expected. But probably, but you know, it is a Shaw Brothers movie, so it is what it is. But uh, eventually, this cop he starts to get like targeted on the spells and everything, and so he gets a monk to help him. So we have like this kind of battle between this this bat shaman and this monk, and we have all these different details. It's kind of a look at how these things work. It's very interesting. I don't know how accurate it is, but it's super cool. Lots of crazy spells going back and forth, like fights like that. Um, reminds me of stuff like Spooky Encounters and the Devil and um, uh, Seating of a Ghost. I love these kind of spell movies. Mr. Vampire. There's a slew of these kind of Chinese magic horror films, Hong Kong style things that are super interesting. And this one's pretty gory, pretty wild, pretty bizarre. I can't wait to get the Boxer's Omen next year. I've not seen it. But uh, this one, Bewitched, great stuff. There's a commentary which I enjoyed partially. I heard a little bit of it. It was good stuff, but I didn't have the time to finish it, unfortunately. But Bewitched, really recommend checking this one out. Uh, a hidden gem. I, I mean, I know that people like Shaw Brothers, and I know it's not unheard of, but I never really heard anyone say, hey, man, check out Bewitched. Um, it, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. All right, the next one from 1981. That's right. Monsters are the best. Did I sing that song right? This is uh, Monster Club. Yeah, that's right. Scorpion releasing, starring Vincent Price, John Carradine, Donald Pleasant, Stuart Whitman, Breck Eklund. Who else? Am I missing someone else in here? I feel like I'm Richard Johnson. It's a great fucking cast. This is an anthology film. I think one of the producers from the Amicus movies produced this. This is past Amicus's day. Some people consider this kind of an Amicus anthology. Some don't. Um, so boom, it's three stories on here and a wraparound, of course. The main wraparound stars Vincent Price and John Carradine and essentially John Carradine is an infamous horror writer and he's walking the streets one night and Vincent Price famished and, and sick um, anemic asked him hey can I can you help me and he says anything sir and he, he takes some blood from him he explains to him that you're going to be okay I didn't take enough blood and he's like you're that horror writer aren't you and he says yes he's like I love your work come to the monster club with me that's right and we are kind of introduced to we are treated I say to like three stories and a bunch of music one of which is by this like punk band on there and like monsters are, and then the final one is of course 
just, you know, somebody stripping all the way down to their bones in a dance, which is Ma, Chef's Kiss, cartoon magic. So the three stories on here, of course, we have the first one, which is probably my least favorite. We have this, like, kind of weird hereditary thing with all these monsters and say the werewolf, vampire, ghoul. And then he, Vincent Price explains that they breed and all this kind of shit like that. It's worth the price of mission to see Vincent Price and Carradine act together anyways with their bizarre, weird voices. I love them both. So what happens is the first story here is probably the weakest, but it, it's a, basically a, a weird story about this character, this kind of weird offshoot of a monster who be whistles, bad things happen. And it's kind of a scheme where this pretty girl um, is forced by her husband to try to rip this poor guy off who's madly ugly. He looks kind of like Lon Chaney Sr. as the fan of the opera. Things don't go right, and there's some whistling. There's a cool dance scene with his family. That's probably the best part. Solid. Okay, okay, short. And then we get to the next one here, which is just a cutie kind of fun one with Richard Johnson as a vampire dad and his kid. And uh, this is basically as told by a low-budget movie that they're showing. And and then I think Brett Cucklin's in this one as well, of course. So what happens is Donald Pleasance is this weird priest that kind of walks around the schools and everything looking for vampires and he ends up bumping into this kid who's very strange getting picked on and he helps him out starts asking questions about his father and you realize that he's a vampire hunter after this poor kid's father and yeah donnie p is going to try to do the lord's work of course it doesn't go as planned richard johnson's fun in it donald pleasance is always is always a treat to see especially if he's a crazy vampire killer um who's a coward at the same time and then the final short is one of my favorite shorts in any anthology of all time. This is all Stuart Whitman from that uh, crazy baboon movie and a million other movies, Shadows in the Empty Room. Badass Stuart Whitman. Um, so what happens? Invaders of the Lost Gold, too. That's another one he's in. Terrible movie. He's fine in it. But uh, basically what happens is Whitman is a director. He reminds me of a Robert Allward type. And he's like, we got to shoot movies on location. I'm tired of these shitty sets, yada, yada, yada. And he's driving one day and he goes to this smog. And he ends up in this broken downtown. And everything looks creepy as shit. And there's just all these weird people that come out. And like the head innkeeper is Patrick Magny. So you know you're fucked when he's the lead head keeper. He's like, oh, we don't have any more rooms. And you're like, fuck, I'm not in a good place. Um, and he's great in that too. He's from Tales from the Crypt, of course. And, and Clockwork Orange and Black Cat and Masquerade of the Red Death. So many good movies. So essentially what happens is uh, he realizes these guys aren't human. They're fucking like half ghouls. And they want to eat him. And it gets really creepy and scary. The atmosphere is thick. There's fog. He's pinned in here. And, of course, somebody comes out to help him. And we have a great little twist ending. A really downbeat kind of scary. Not twist. I say downbeat ending, I would say. But, yeah, it's a really scary, creepy story. It reminds me of, like, Night of the Devils from 1971, the Italian film, which is the story of the Verdalock, which they use. And, of course, Black Sabbath. But, uh, um, great movie for the most part. And the music I love is cheesy. Love Price and Carradine. First short's okay. Second short's a little fun. Third short's great. And the wraparound's really fun, too. So I really like Monster Club. And this poster here, this cover, this cover on the VHS was one that I always rented. Now, some of the masks in the background look terrible. It's like, are they monsters? Are they supposed to be masks? I don't even want to know. It's like Night Killer all over. You're like, I, I don't know. Whatever. But there's a werewolf guy there. It's just such a cute movie. It reminds me a lot of the Waxwork cover. Um, is this PG? This really ought to be PG. I don't think it's rated. A non-rated is a bit extreme for it. The last story is scary, but... It's nothing that, you know, nobody's ever seen before. But this is a good horror introductory if your kid's got the attention span. It's by Roy Ward Baker, who did Vault of Horror, um, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, a couple other Hammer One Scars of Dracula. Roy Ward Baker is a totally underrated director. He did Quatermass in the fucking pit. Great movie. Um, Roy Ward Baker is uh, one of my top probably like 30 favorite horror directors. I know you're 30. It's like there's a lot of great horror directors, guys. He's in my top 20 probably. Just underrated. Did so much good stuff. Great stuff, great stuff. Anyways, Monster Club, I really like it. I know it's not for everybody, but I like anthologies and I like the people in it. And it's the last story is really good stuff. Okay, and the Patreon pick is, um, I can't think, I think it's Jim Simon. And this is Straight Time, starring Dustin Hoffman. Um, this is based on a true story. Uh, Eddie Bunker, the criminal and actor and everything, wrote the story that this is based on. And I'd never seen this one. What year is this? 78. Um, so yeah, this also has Teresa Russell. I didn't want to make sure I said that. Didn't forget her because she's great in this. And it also has uh, M. Emmett Walsh, Harry Dean Stanton, and Gary Busey. And uh, this is pre, you know, Gary Busey kind of loses his mind, Gary Busey. Like, there's a motorcycle accident. He just wasn't quite the same. If you look at early Gary Busey, you see him pop up in stuff like The Big Wednesday and Lolly Madonna, LLC. He's in so much good stuff, and he's such a different actor. Not even the same guy. And he's always good. I, I know he's in some weird, he's really weird in a lot of the later movies. But early Busey is fucking gold. 
He's such a good actor. And his son's in here, too. So Dustin Hoffman is a criminal that just did some time, and he's on, uh, you know, basically on parole. And he meets his parole officer, Emmett Walsh. Emmett Walsh is one of the great character actors of his time, still alive, amazingly. He's in a million movies from Narrow Margin to the Cohen, some Coen Brother movies. He's in everything. You've seen him a million times. He's in a great episode of Tales from the Crypt, Collection Completed. Uh, wonderful actor. So essentially, he's just a, a really got a weird demeanor about him. Um, and he's just too realistic. And I'll say this about Straight Time. In 1978, actors, um, they just acted more realistic. And this is not over the top. No, and it's just not subtle either. It's just dead on realistic. I just was watching this, and Hoffman is, is so good in this. Like, Hoffman is an actor who's always good, but sometimes he plays the biggest assholes in the world that make me dislike him. Straw dogs, big, little big man. In this movie, he somehow captures you to, to root for him, even though he's not a totally great guy. And he has his problems, but he is so good and convincing in this movie, and you really want to root for him. And Emmett Walsh is, is perfect. Like, I don't I don't know if I've ever seen a more realistic kind of performance, honestly, in a movie. I, It's so realistic. It feels so, you know people like that. He just, it's just really honest performance. So um, he meets a Teresa Russell, and they start a relationship while he's on parole. And uh, he gets run in with his parole officer, and he's trying to walk the straight and narrow, and it just, something goes wrong. You know, his buddy's Gary Busey. He's a drug user. His wife is Kathy Bates in a young role. His son's Gary, uh, uh, Jake Busey. But Kathy Bates excellent as well in this. She's a small role, but she's really good in it. And uh, so, so basically his buddy's Gary Busey, and he's a drug user and used to be a criminal and everything like that. And he has some other friends as well, one in which is Harry Dean Stanton. And, and his scene with Harry Dean Stanton when he's having, like, lunch poolside with him, and his wife brings him the guitar. He's like, "Now, what I'm eating, honey," and he sings that song. Like you're just like, "Wow, this is just one of the great moments of hanging out in a movie." Harry Dean Stanton is is a gold actor, man. Like, you you don't think like there's so many of these character actors that just pop up in everything, and they're so good. He's in 92 in the Shade, Christine, Alien, Repo Man. Um, uh, Harry Dean Stanton is like top five, ten character actors. Really, he's so much good stuff. I've never seen him do a bad job. You know what I mean? I've never seen him do a bad job. But this part where he's playing, grabs the guitar and singing it, I just felt dead on. And uh, like there's scenes within the movie where like shit hits the fan, and I was just like on the edge of my seat. And it plays it real. It all feels real. And I, I really appreciated that. I didn't feel like the acting was overacted. I didn't feel like it was underacted. I felt it was perfect realism. And I know there's probably things that aren't realistic. It just felt real. Like the diamond heist was intense as shit. Um, this is a great film. This might be a fucking master. This is a great crime film. A great drama. Um, it's one of the best movies I've seen in a while, honestly. I, I love this thing. I, I watch this again. I will show people this movie. I know uh, that people have probably seen this. It's not a uh, no movie. It's a Warner Archive disc, and I've heard people talk well about it, but I didn't think it was going to be this good. I'm not going to lie. And, you know, they talk in the commentary, Dustin Hoffman's on there with the director, and they talk about Hoffman was originally directing this, and things got out of He just didn't feel comfortable. But they're talking about Eddie Bunker, too, and how Eddie Bunker would show up on set and be late and all this kind of stuff. It's just really interesting documentary, too, and the director is just interesting and intelligent, and you can tell Hoffman took it very seriously. He's very intelligent, just an all-around highly intelligent guy and very focused on his art. And uh, just highly recommend it. Straight Time is great shit. Great stuff. Great stuff. Let's get in these questions, comments, concerns, all that jazz. Uh, bad brains whore. Hey, Dave. Dr. Caligula, uh, Dr. Caligari looks like a must-buy. It's got that Stuart Gordon, Brian Usenda vibe. Great reviews. Thank you. It's not quite that, but it does have maybe color palettes. It's great stuff. Highly recommended. Subjective Perspective Collective. Good stuff as always. What is your favorite all-time all -time favorite giallo? Um, also, what is your favorite Polizio Tetsi? Mine are Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. And uh, um, that's by Sergio Martino. And Lenzi's Almost Human. Uh, Almost Human is a great one. Uh, I'd go Eurocrime. I would probably go something like The Big Racket or Revolver. Uh, I'll go Eurocrime. I don't do Polizio Tetsi. I'd say one of those two. I think those two are quite amazing. Um, as far as Giallo or Gialli, my favorite Gialli would be... Don't Torture a Duckling, Tenenbrae, Blood and Black Lace. You know, people are like, well, those are like obvious, but they're a reason. They're great. Um, and then, uh, ontologically, Steve, 1920, her tatas are amazing. I'm not familiar with this film, but I may just have to check it out. Your review was compelling too, Dave. Haha. I did notice I put the tatas in there. Oh, well. Uh, Nick Mua, thanks for the endorsing the Fanatic review. And yes, the Fright Break is a little, uh, 
kooky. Still, this film shows that Mr. Castle wasn't all schlock and gimmicks. So sad to hear about Truth Williams. He made Deep Rising highly enjoyable. Do you think that good actors make good producers? I've enjoyed most of the films produced by actor Elijah Wood. I think that's certain. Yeah, I think they can. You know what I mean? Um, I think Elijah Wood's a good choice. I mean, he always picks interesting things. Um, to who's the best Shalak director, according to you? I mean, what do you consider Shalak? I mean, they would consider Herschel Gordon Lewis Shalak. They would consider would they consider William Castle Shalak? If they consider William Castle Shalak, then he is. But I, I just don't. I just have a hard time thinking he's Shalak. Maybe back in the day he was. Ed Wood would be. I don't know. It depends what you consider Shalak and, and the time and and air air and time. You know what I mean? That changes. Till next week, uh, and be careful when you're walking home alone at night, or take the cats, one of the cats with you at least. I don't, I, they probably do me more damage. Um, uh, thank you, girl. Um, or Thai girl. That clip of The Last Shark will forever be hilarious. Takes me back to when I first discovered your channel, back when you had long hair. Thank you. Uh, Kentucky Kentuckinator. Excellent point about full moon pictures. Comfort food quality. I watched Spellcaster the other night. It's short. It's fun. It's easy. Sometimes all you want for dinner is meatloaf and mashed potatoes. Amen, brother. Spellcaster is a fun one. It's an empire picture. Good stuff. Uh, Ken Coakley. I forgot to put in my two cents regarding Showgirls. I avoided it for years, thinking that the film would be a stink bomb. Friends told me to watch it, that it was so bad that it was good, like Plan 9 from Outer Space and Reefer Badness. I finally saw it at my local cinema at midnight showing sometime in 2017. It was like The Room, and that it was it was so bad it was bad. Not only was it a snooze fest, it turned me against gratuitous nudity in films as Gina Gershon and Elizabeth Berkley never struck me as very attractive. I did like one scene, and that was when Elizabeth Berkeley was dancing terribly in nightclub and Clem Palmer said she got moves and everyone in the audience cracked up. I usually like Paul Verhoeven films, but this was awful. I've not seen it, so I'll find out eventually. Now onto the subject of the Iron Prefect. The cinematographer, cinematography and set designs and wardrobes remind me of another film that also came out in 77. That was Bernardo Bertolucci's five-hour epic 1900, starring Robert De Niro, Gerard Depardieu, Donald Sutherland, Burt Lancaster, and Sterling Hayding. The movie is about two men born on the same day which was New Year's Day, 1900. Like a lot of other Bertolucci films, 1900 can be vulgar, but it does touch upon the evils of fascism. But like The Iron Prefect, the cinematography is amazing. Now, I, I, I've not seen too many Bertolucci movies. I love to watch 1900, but like I said, you know, five hours is rough, even for De Niro and Sterling Hayding and Sutherland and uh, Lancaster. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get to it eventually. I mean, there's not enough time in the day. There's not enough life to live to watch every movie ever made although damn well i'll try i guess um you know what? we're gonna do the update really quick here i'm gonna cheat because it's only two titles um it's two 4ks we'll start with the first one motel hell takes kind of all kinds of critters to make farmer vincent's fritters love this movie a lot of fun 1980 on 4k um kevin uh connor british director made like from beyond the grave and all those like doug mcclure fan uh, fantastical movies uh he did a great uh texas chainsaw style movie then we have creep show by george romero 82. One of my favorites. Romero's the best. I uh, hope this looks great in 4K. I bet the music's great by John Harrison. Love this fucking movie. So yeah, not, not too huge an update. Uh, I did check out the Severn sale and I ended up ordering the bundle. And tomorrow, I'm shooting this like July, June 30th, we'll have the Severn stuff. Uh, methyl vinegar syndrome stuff going up on Ju uh, July 1st. So look forward to buying some other stuff. Yeah, so we're out of here. Alright guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Mm.